and welcome to another edition of the double a team i'm ken fang my co-host as you can see uh next to me is steven nagishi and we have a lot of things to discuss today uh first of all nice to be back after a couple weeks uh steven let's get right to it um the on the day that we're taping president biden announced that there was going to be a diplomatic boycott of the 2022 Beijing Olympics, which is coming up very shortly in February, starting February 3rd, as you know, if you've been watching all the NBC platforms for sports, uh, they'll be coming up soon. Um, the US government will not send any uh, diplomatic um, delegations to China. Uh, that does not mean, however, that the athletes will not be participating. They will. The athletes will participate. It's just that there will be no official uh, U.S. delegation. This may also start uh, the ball rolling for other delegations as well, like the U United Kingdom and Australia. There'll be pressure put, put on them. Um, Stephen, it, it all goes uh, towards uh, not just the situation we're going to discuss next, but also human rights violations in China as well. Yeah, absolutely. We touched on on our last uh, show uh, about uh, Peng Shui, uh, the female Chinese uh, tennis player who uh, exposed her. Um, well, I'm sorry, made accusations on her uh, sexual assault against one of the high ranking Chinese government officials. And uh, there has been a lot of uh, uh, tapes being released uh, by IOC to try and uh, any dispel notions that uh, she's being put on a house arrest or she's being under control. But uh, given the IOC's uh, uh, reputation these days, uh, I'm not really holding my breath on uh, whatever the heck uh, uh, Dick Pound or Thomas Bach uh, are saying, you know, two high-ranking officials uh, within IOC. At this point, I know uh, Dick Pound went on uh, CNN uh, last week, I believe, uh, to have an interview. But um, that, in my opinion, really didn't do much considering their uh, tarnished reputation. And uh, it, 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 it seems like IOC is just basically being a pawn to the, uh, you know, the Chinese government uh, mm -hmm. in this matter. And uh, there's a tabloid that I read in Japan that I follow. Pretty soon at this rate, you know, um, the Olympics are only going to be hosted by, uh, you know, mostly in Asian countries like Japan and uh, China at this rate, because we all know the uh, the the deficit and the cost of hosting Olympics sometimes just uh, outweighs the uh, the goals. And, uh, you know, uh, is it really, really worth it at this point? Well, we can go into the white elephants that the uh, Olympics have, have uh, left behind in Greece and Brazil and all that. But in regards mm -hmm. to China and uh, uh, what we were talking about, Peng Shui, the uh, tennis player, the female tennis player has uh, been seen only on uh, official government channels over recently uh, in, in, in the immediate uh, in the immediate past. She has been seen and talked to uh, Thomas Bach, the International Olympic Committee president, and also uh, Dick Pound, who is an Olympic uh, IOC member, who at one time was very, had had a uh, quite a good reputation, but recently he has come out and not looked very good, especially in light 
of the Peng Shui situation saying that there was unanimous consent that she was okay. I don't know what unanimous consent he was talking about. And then also in, in a sense that uh, the fact that he came on and said that uh, he didn't understand why there was criticism against the IOC um, in which the uh, in which he told uh, CNN's Christian Amanpour that he didn't really see the reason for the criticism against the IOC when uh, there's a lot of criticism that should be sent their way in mm-hmm. regards to them holding water for uh, for dictators and despots going back to 1936 and the Berlin Olympics and of course uh, about going back to the 1980 Olympics in Moscow and the 19 and the 2014 Sochi Olympics in, in Russia as well and of course now the Olympics in 2008 and uh, uh, in China and of course the one in 2022 so uh, really the uh, IOC really doesn't look good in this situation Stephen and as you mentioned mm-hmm. that the uh, they're they're coming off really as uh, really tone deaf. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, WTA Women's Tennis Association <clears throat> have been very, very vocal about this. They pulled out at an event, I believe. Uh, they made an announcement uh, last week, whereas uh, ATP, which is the uh, the governing body that oversees the uh, the men's uh, tennis side, has been somewhat uh, slow uh, in that. Maybe silent. Yeah, very, very silent. Um, obviously, being silent in these moments makes you somewhat complicit in these situations. So it will be interesting to see, um, you know, uh, where this goes. And uh, will this diplomatic uh, boycott uh, is going to have any impact on uh, uh, the Olympics or even the uh, on a global uh, political scale? Uh, well, uh, China's president, uh Xi Jinping has already said there will be uh, implications uh, and maybe some uh, payback for this. Uh, He has always been talking very tough. He's talking this way about Taiwan as well, which is another issue which we won't get into. It uh, it doesn't do with sports. But, you know, um, people who know the Taiwan situation, uh, like myself as a a, – Go, uh, going back to have Taiwanese descent, know about the, the threats from China and, and over Taiwan over the last over many years, but it's getting a little bit tougher uh, with the talk with Xi Jinping. But he is a person who likes to talk tough, uh, likes to uh, throw muscle around, and we'll see what happens in this situation. And Stephen, it's just, it, again um, money talks with China, even though they're a communist government. Uh, holding back uh, tournaments, which make money in China and pay uh, China a lot, speaks words. So hopefully uh, we'll see something more concrete with, with Peng Shui uh, in, the, in the next few days uh, or weeks or even leading up to the Olympics, maybe enforce their hand. Um, mm-hmm. But at this point, uh, they're just talking tough and, and maintaining uh, basically radio silence and uh, basically making sure that she's only shown in the light that makes it look good for China. Yeah, without a doubt. And, um, you know, a lot of uh, global sporting events nowadays, um, I also touched this in our last show, uh, the next World Cup will be held in Qatar, which obviously uh, doesn't have a stellar reputation when it comes to you know, human rights uh, as well. And it's funny that uh, these sporting events nowadays on a global scale are are in cahoots with these uh, dictators. You know, obviously they have the money. Uh, they want to use sports as a, some, as a platform for propaganda uh, to make it look good. 
And I can say the same about, you know, Japan in last, uh, you know, this summer, um, which in all honesty, probably shouldn't have, uh, you know, held the Olympics because obviously the number of athletes who ended up getting COVID uh, were astronomical. Um, uh, you know, we haven't heard any athletes uh, dying from it, but it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, they ended up developing long-term uh, symptoms that prevents them from ever competing on the highest level. So, you know, if those informations were withheld by, you know, the IOC and the Japanese government, obviously those things are, uh, that needs to be brought to light. You know, um, you know, Japan doesn't have a real uh, stellar reputation when it comes to uh, human rights, uh, women's rights as well. Um, obviously there were news being made around that, uh, you know, the U.S. embassy in Japan were notifying their citizens that the Japanese police were racial profiling. So um, for all that uh, Japan was trying to do to boost their image through Olympics and, uh, and other stuff, uh, obviously this is a, a, an embarrassment. And uh, that's something that the Asian countries needs to be held to a higher standard uh, when it comes to hosting a global sporting events of this nature going forward. But uh, unfortunately, it probably will not change uh, anytime soon unless uh, the pressure uh, is being made. Yeah. And the IOC is well known for uh, lining its own pockets well as not helping the host nations. Um, if you take a look at some of the articles about some of the contracts that they have to sign, um, Tokyo is certainly not making any money and leaving behind probably deficits uh, in regards to operating costs and, of course, uh, to the building and, of course, for the infrastructure. China, China Japan tried to do a lot to, to uh, keep costs down, but the um, cost for the Olympic Stadium uh, skyrocketed, tripled, as a matter of fact, and uh, left and um Montreal, of course, didn't just pay off their debt until uh, earlier this century in regards mm -hmm. to the debt for the 1976 Olympics. So you see how uh, it's it's not a money-making situation except for the International Olympic Committee. All right, let's move on to our next topic, uh, which will be the uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And uh, Stephen, um, and as you can see right down there on the below, Michael Chen, the writer for the Fighting Irish Wire, is going to be joining us. Uh, let's talk about what happened with Notre Dame. I mean, uh, the co college football, of course, is always interesting. Uh, the co college uh, football coaching carousel is hmm. always interesting. Uh, Notre Dame uh, is one in which I don't think any one of us kind of saw this coming, but then all of a sudden LSU uh, throws a lot of money at um, Brian Kelly. And then the next thing we know that he's off to the, to LSU to uh, at least Notre Dame in the lurch. Yeah. I, I did not see this one coming at all. Um, I tweeted, um, you know, uh, Brian Kelly in the South, you know, I, I thought it was a, a total, you know, mismatch from a uh, cultural and, you know, a characteristic standpoint, it, you know, in the South, obviously it's uh, very, very competitive uh, SEC, you know, the old big 12 and even, even way, way before that, you know, the Southwestern uh, conference uh, beforehand, which uh, one time uh, 30 for 30 made a, a huge, huge uh, uh, documentary on the corruption with the SMU and, uh, you know, the conference as a whole, if you remember. The Pony Express, yeah. Yeah, the great. Pony Express, yes, that is correct. Um, that is a, 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 you know, it's huge. It's huge. Um, the boosters obviously demand a lot more. Uh, 
Um, you know, you saw Texas with the, the the number of coaching carousels that they have gone through. Um, you know, LSU obviously, and uh, Oklahoma recently. Uh, Lincoln Riley ended up leaving because he didn't want to go to the SEC, so he bolted for uh, sunny Southern California to take over uh, USC, which uh, I think it was a smart decision on his behalf uh, to build up a, a program that has been trending downwards for quite some time. And um, yeah, I'm very, very curious to see um, what Brian Kelly uh, has in his, uh, you know, up his sleep because uh, the way he left, obviously uh, didn't uh, endear a lot of fans and alums, obviously the players who had to wake up at seven in the morning and listen to him speak, which only lasted about two minutes and, and he was off to, to Baton Rouge. So you wonder how that perception is going to be, um, you know, uh, follow him around going forward because Nick Saban isn't going to retire anytime soon. And uh, Auburn is there. Uh, Old Miss, you know, with Lane Kiffin, who just re-upped. That's a tough conference in the mm-hmm. SEC East, I believe. And, um, you know, he definitely has his uh, works cut. Yep. So we have a guest coming in and let's uh, bring him in right now. Uh, Mike Chen of the uh, USA Today uh, Network covering Notre Dame football uh, joining us. If he's not in there, that's fine. But um, let's uh, talk to uh, Mike Chen in regards to uh, he's not ready. So we'll uh, continue talking. talking. So but uh, in regards to this, uh, Stephen, I mean, uh, I have not I I will be honest. I have not been a big uh, Notre Dame fan over the years yeah, um, me neither. they uh, and i know that they have their their fans and they're very militant and and they're very very staunch and loyal to them and of course uh you talk about uh the the uh the folklore going back to uh going back to the four horsemen and going back to uh you know the, the coaches that they've had over the years where it be era parsegian or lou holtz and, and then go back to all oh, all the way uh, back to the 1920s and, and some of the stuff they've done. Um, of course, some of the fans still live in those days and trying mm-hmm. to think that they can do the same thing and have their own sure. network in NBC showing their home games. But um, I'm just always interested to, to hear from, from Mike and hear what he has to say in regards to this. But in regards to Brian Kelly, um, it's just really, really uh, – to me, it's just leaving your kids in the lurch, uh, saying a statement a couple of weeks before saying, oh, I'm not leaving. Uh, you know, it's going to take me two hundred fifty million dollars to take to, uh, to to head on out. And and the wife uh, is going to have to make a decision on that as well. And then it seemingly much less. It took about one hundred million dollars for him to leave. But still, <laughs> uh, you leave your kids in the lurch. You say you have endless love for them. And then you text them by saying you have endless love and then you're showing your love for them by having you apparently the limit for his love is two minutes. So it's just really <laughs> unbelievable and, and really leaving uh, a program in the lurch. Yeah, absolutely. I know, uh, you know, Lincoln Riley, you know, did the same thing. You know, he said he wasn't going to take any questions about, you know, uh, LSU job questions, which was a very smart because, he took the USC, which obviously came out of uh, left field. Nobody expected this happening. So that was a smart PR um, move by him uh, to avoid this. And, you know, he gave uh, somewhat of a, you know, uh, a very uh, 
week interview uh, with uh, Scott Van Pelt the other day. I think it was uh, last Sunday or so. Um, because, you know, it took, he said it happened Sunday morning when the ball kept rolling. And I'm thinking to myself, and then he had to admit and retract the story because, you know, you wake up that early after a loss and then start talking. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think Andrew Brandt uh, said it best. I think his agents were talking uh, behind closed doors for this and uh, obviously, you know, had to, you know, keep his mouth shut. Um, or at least, uh, you know, prevent the leaks from happening. So that's a smart move on his part. Um, I am anxious to see what uh, Lincoln Riley uh, will do. Um, Oklahoma ended up hiring Terry Venables, the D.C. from uh, Clemson, where, uh, you know, he used to work there. So, and then Miami also made a hire today with uh, Mario Cristobal from Oregon. Yep. yep. Um, you know, Manny Diaz was uh, kind of uh, kept in the dark. Uh, until today where he was officially announced that he was fired. And I know a lot of people were very, very much up in arms the way he got treated. Um, and then it turned out that the, the money that Miami, which is, I think is a, is Miami a private university or is it public university? It's my, it's private. Yeah. Okay. So private. Okay. So they, they rely heavily on the donors and, you know, stuff like that. When it comes to you know athletics and stuff, um, I read that uh, their hospital health health uh, systems made so much money, and then I think it was about four hundred million dollars in profits or something like that that uh, they were able to cover up to get uh, Cristobal, which I know a lot of people find it uh, reprehensible that uh, the money that they made, especially in, in this pandemic were used to, you know, lure away a, a college football, uh, I'm sorry, college athlete, you know, used for the athletics. And that, uh, you know, Miami's uh, still chasing their uh, past glories now, and uh, we'll see how this uh, one turns out. Yeah, and, it, you know, it, it, we can talk about the college football and, and, and the coaching carousel and and really to t say that they get, the, the coaches make more money than, um, 10 times more money, probably even much more than that, than college professors and the, and the presidents um, yeah. and the board of regents and the disparity it goes for that and probably the priorities that are, that are wrong. But of course the universities will say, well, it, it, get, it adds prestige. It helps with our endowment. It right. helps with, uh, you know, uh, recruiting, uh, not just sports, but also, education as well and, and, and bringing out more than that and they said well if if the a nobel prize winner makes money would make money we would do that more and and, and, and emphasize that more but uh, of course college football is where it is and it's king in, in athletics um I, i'm just interested Stephen, about uh again in speaking in regards to brian kelly um some of the hypocrisy that he has uh come about and some of his statements that he has made and then um and here's a boston guy who goes down to uh, Baton Rouge in his first uh, speech to the in front of the fans and faithful, and he goes, "My family." He goes, "It's very funny." He just here's here it is actually. Well, that's a great way to get started, and I haven't even won all my games yet. <laughs> it's a great night to be a Tiger. I'm here with my family. <laughs> yeah. 
it, it's it's interesting. I mean, here's a guy from Boston who is uh, and ne- never showed any trace of a southern accent, and all of a sudden he's in Baton Rouge and has his pet. All of a sudden, um, he's all <laughs> humble and apple pie and everything. So, yeah, um, it, it's slick just, guy, slick guy. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of snake oil going in there. There's a lot of oh, there's yeah. a lot of snake oil, especially along the college coaches, uh, especially those who uh, you know say one thing and then. Out of, out of one side of their mouth and then the uh, another thing comes out from the other it's just uh, it, it's just typical of, of this and of course um it's the money that goes into college football that goes into ESPN is a, is, a, is a big part of it um NBC of course giving a lot a lot of money to Notre Dame to have their own contracts and this goes back to 1990 not 1991 when they first uh were able to get Notre Dame to sign a contract for originally five uh home games and now they i think it's about eight about uh six or seven home games that they show every year uh on their networks uh and it's it's all about money and of course it's always has been about the money and the college football coaches uh try to make it as much money as as they can and of course uh you you talk about nick saban um he was another guy who uh, said that he wasn't going to leave the Miami Dolphins. He was very happy being with the Miami Dolphins and then uh, <laughs> laughed off the fact that he would never go back to college. And then Alabama came calling. And the next thing you know, he's on a plane leaving the Dolphins and going to the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide. And of Absolutely. course, it's, been, it's, it's, it's every it's been there. He's been there ever since. But it's just funny just to see uh, mm-hmm. some of the statements. Um, I know they can't. I know deep down inside they feel they don't want to anger the fan base, but I would be refreshing to me for one college coach said, yeah, I'm looking at the money. Yeah. I'm being yeah. recruited. Yeah. I, I know um, it could cost uh, ourselves wins. I know that uh, it may cost me some fan base, but yeah, I'm looking at the money. I'm looking to better myself. Yeah. Um, it would be refreshing. I know they're never going to say it, but I would love no. to see that. No. And, and it's about, um, you know, it's about recruiting as well. You know, my, uh, you know, Brian Kelly obviously had his uh, restrictions. Uh, you know, with Notre Dame, and there, he's always going to f- face an uphill battle going up against the likes of Alabama, Clemson's. You know, uh, they were able to recruit. Um, you know, uh, I'm sorry, the Clemson's and the Alabamas of the world. They can recruit five-star, four-star kids without any academic restrictions. And I think maybe Brian Kelly finally felt that. Uh, this is his last shot at winning the title. So, you know, if he had that at least admitted that part, you know, like I said, along with the money, you know, nobody could blame him, right? Mm-hmm. So let's bring in our first guest tonight. He's our first time, three-time guest. Um, he was on our very first show. I think he was on our second show. And we're. I think might as well make him, why don't we just make him a monthly guest? Why not? <laughs> it's my- it's Mike Chen, um, who covers Notre Dame. Um, when we last talked to Mike, we talked to him about who could ever succeed Brian Kelly, not knowing that he would be succeeding Mike Brian Kelly the next month. Joining us now is Michael Chen, who covers the uh, Notre Dame Fighting Irish for the USA Today Network. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Of course, Thank guys. Uh, anytime. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, I apologize. There was a bit of a miscommunication there. but uh, No worries. No worries. Let's start yeah, let's, with. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ken. Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's go. Let's talk about the uh, the big elephant in the room. Uh, Brian Kelly heading off to LSU. Uh, you know, we were talking about uh, his legacy and how long he was going to stay there. And uh, 
we didn't know that he was that it was going to be weeks and just games and uh, mere mere weeks that he was going to be leaving uh, for uh, for quote unquote greener patchers. Yeah, I, to be honest with you, it was a shock to me as it was to many of us. Uh, when, when you looked at you know the writing on the walls, he still had another year. He just signed an extension there to stay in South Bend for an extra year. Um, it seemed as if, you know, I mean, unfortunately, they did not make the college wall playoff. Uh, you know, outside looking in, uh, still a New Year's Six Bowl that they're going to. So obviously, it's not exactly what Brian Kelly wanted, but, you know, you kind of thought that he had built something in South Bend that he could win with and win with for a while, in my estimation. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's shocking because you look at how old he is. He's 60 years old. He signed a 10-year contract with LSU, and yeah, he's getting paid a ton of money. But, I mean, I mean how, aside from Nick Saban, in, in the collegiate game right now, what coach is going to be that age and still performing at a high level? It's super demanding. Uh, going out and recruiting. I mean, look, Urban Meyer said no. And Urban Meyer is a guy that you look at and say, all right, he's arguably, you know, top three greatest college football coaches of all time. And he had the opportunity to take that Notre Dame job. Because I think that, you know, the athletic director Jack Schwarbeck is not going to say that they reached out to him. I, I guarantee you they reached out to him. There, there must have been some sort of conversation, even if it was, are you interested? No, I, I don't want to go back to college games. Okay. But you, you still had to go and talk to him and figure out whether or not that he was interested. And he wasn't. And he's not even 60 yet. And so you look at that and you think, well, I, I don't know how long Brian Kelly is going to stay at Baton Rouge. I mean, I don't think that he runs out his contract there. I do think that he is successful. But remember, he's going up against SEC competition day in and day out. This is completely different. It's not a one-off here and there. We were playing, you know, like last year, for instance, you know, you played Clemson and that was the big game. I mean, in all honesty, the Irish really didn't play tough competition this year aside from Cincinnati. And in that game, they obviously lost. Uh, Yeah, it's to a college football playoff team, but they still lost. So I think when you look at big picture, I think that Brian Kelly kind of said, you know, this is probably as good as I'm going to get it here at Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, but in all honesty, and I think Marcus Freeman, he is the perfect guy for the job. He is going to make that program be completely different because when he came in, just as the defensive coordinator, you saw an uptick in recruiting. You saw multiple student athletes like go on social media and say, this is our next coach. This is who we want. And I think that that's, that says a whole hell of a lot about how the, the young men believe in Marcus Freeman and what he can do at Notre Dame. So I think it's a, a win-win for both parties, to be honest with you. I think Brian Kelly did everything he could in South Bend. And I think it's an opportunity for Marcus Freeman to have a long, long tenure there. I mean, he's 35 years old. He's got a lot of coaching in front of him. And, uh, you know, this is, this is what you see now in, in the coaching profession. You see guys his age get an opportunity early and he's going to have a lot of room to work with. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know a lot of people were fra- uh, praising his uh, press conference today. Really, really, he knocked it out of the park for many mm-hmm. people in the, uh, uh, in the eyes of many, many people today. Um, what stood out to you uh, from your uh, interaction with uh, Marcus uh, Freeman uh, in the past, and uh, what makes him such a qualified candidate in your opinion? 
Well, to be honest with you, I think a lot of it has to do with his age. I mean, he's 35 years old, like I just said. Uh, he's just a few years older than some of these guys. If he didn't have an injury, he probably would have played in the NFL for, you know, eight to 10 years. You know, he's right. a very, very good linebacker coming out of Ohio State. And I think when you look at his coaching pedigree, uh, he's a Midwest guy. Uh, you know, he obviously uh, he was on Daryl Hazel's staff at Purdue. Uh, he coached at Ohio State under Luke Fickle as well. Went with Fickle to Cincinnati. Now he had offers again last year, last offseason. LSU wanted him and he said no. He's a Midwest guy at heart. And I think that that plays so big into what Notre Dame is looking for and what they wanted to achieve. And so to me, I, I just I just think that there's so many great aspects of it. You know, the, the recruiting, the age, the understanding of the environment, that closeness, his connections to Ohio. I mean, Ohio, in my estimation, for high school football, that's the best in the Midwest. That's the best above the Mason-Dixie line. And he's got inroads there. I mean, look at the recruiting class already. They've got Ohio guys. You know, yeah, they missed out on a couple of top Ohio guys as well. But they're also getting, you know, Brendan Vernon, who's a five-star defensive end from Ohio. Those guys don't leave the state. They go to Ohio State. Right. And to see that happen, that tells me a whole hell of a lot about the recruiting prowess that Marcus Freeman has. And I think that's, that's the one thing that you might be able to knock on that Brian Ken Kelly tenure is the fact that he probably didn't recruit as well as you could have at Notre Dame. But aside from that, you know, winning, he, he won consistently and all that. But I just feel like and – I, and I actually wrote about this, um, this exact scenario on uh, Fighting Irish Wire right when, right when they announced – well, obviously last week when all the rumors were happening. I said, look, I've seen this before. You know, I went to school at Ohio State. I, I saw this. You know, John Cooper was at the end of my – you know, the, the end of his tenure, the beginning of my college years – and for all the good that he did for that program, he just he didn't win the big games. And right. then they brought in and then they brought in Jim Trussell, who had a, a different mindset. And he went out and won a national championship in his second year. I'm not saying that Freeman's gonna win a national championship in his second year. I think it's gonna be a couple of years, to be honest with you. Especially mm -hmm. with uh, you know a new quarterback coming in next year. Uh, although, you know. They've got Tyler Buckner there. Uh, he needs work. He needs. He's more of a runner than he is a passer. But uh, I think that you know when you look at the grand scheme of things, it, the similarities of what Ohio State went through with their transition from John Cooper to Jim Trussell and what Brian Kelly to Marcus Freeman, it's a mirror image in my eyes. And I could see Notre Dame becoming an absolute juggernaut in the next you know starting in the next like two or three years it's a hundred percent right in front of them mm -hmm. in regards going back to uh kelly do you think that the um his departure might have influenced some votes on the committee to not put them in the in the top four i don't think so to be honest with you mm -hmm. you know you kind of looked at the way everything was going to play out i really didn't think that Alabama was going to lose to Georgia, which is exactly what happened. Uh, I think that uh, when you look at it, if Notre Dame beat Cincinnati, 
I mean, that was the game, like we talked about earlier. Right. That, that was the biggest game on their schedule. And I think that them losing uh, that game, that kind of ended their you know college football playoff chances, if you may. And uh, it's unfortunate because I think that at the end of the year, there's there weren't many teams in the country that were playing as good as Notre Dame. I mean, look at the stats. The defense came around and, and really started to play at a high, high level. And I just thought that, you know, if you took that loss out and, and everything was equal, they're, they're probably one of the top four teams in the country. But because they still had that loss and that loss was to Cincinnati, who was still inside the top four, it just wasn't going to happen. So I really don't think that him leaving – really had much bearing on the committee. I think the mm -hmm. committee looked at it as a whole, uh, even if there was a coaching change at other programs, I still think that the, all four programs that they selected would be in anyways, to be honest with you. So I, I really don't think that it would have bared much difference whether Kelly stayed or Kelly left. Mm -hmm. So pretty much the committee got it right. Yeah, I think so. I, I really do. Mm -hmm. I will add that, uh, you know, Marcus Freeman, I think when he got drafted, he was actually was with the Bears camp one time before, uh, I believe, an enlarged heart was discovered. Mm -hmm. And uh, right. he had to uh, end his career there. So there's a bit of a history for, you know, us uh, Bears fans there, too. But uh, um, let's talk about the, uh, you know, the, the, sta the state of uh, Notre Dame. Obviously, every coaching staff stays. Um, mm -hmm. which I think speaks volume more about Freeman's character as much as it is about Brian Kelly's character. Um, so Tommy Reese will remain as an OC, correct? Mm -hmm. And will Freeman call defense himself, or is there somebody who's going to do that for him? I, my assumption is, is that he's going to hire somebody. I mean, you know, as a head coach, uh, it's a little bit more delegation. Uh, I think he's going to have his hands definitely more in the defense than he is in the offense. Uh, but I do think that he ultimately hires somebody, and uh, it remains to be seen who he's going to select. Uh, I think that there's some pretty solid candidates out there. Uh, off the top of my head, I couldn't name you any. But I, I don't see him, you know, just saying I'm the defense coordinator slash head coach. I think that's, especially for a first-time head coach, I think that that's way too much on his plate. I think that when you look at big picture, he's going to have to do some role delegating. And that's what a head coach does. I mean, he's the face of the program now. He can't say, all right, I'm going to do work on the defense and not touch the offense. He's got to be everywhere. He's got to have his hands on everything. So I think that ultimately he is going to hire somebody as a defensive coordinator who it's going to be. I don't know. I'm not quite sure yet, but I do think that he hires somebody, gets a little bit of that pressure off of him. And I definitely think that he's going to hire somebody that has ties to what he has done. Um, there's a, you know, I don't, I, I'm not sure if this is a hundred percent, you know, accurate or not, but I could definitely see him trying to poach Mike Trussell away from uh, Cincinnati. Uh, you know, they have a relationship, they have a coaching relationship. You know, Trussell obviously replaced him there uh, for Luke Fickle and it would be a, you know, a little, little jab to Luke Fickle as well to, to take, the, you know, another defensive coordinator away from him. But, you know, that's what happens in smaller programs. That's exactly what happens. And, you know, it's a stepping stone to a bigger program. And, you know, that's a name, you know, that I could definitely see ending up at Notre Dame. I mean, he's got the pedigree. 
you know, he's a you know, relative of Jim as well and, uh, you know, understands the Midwest. So uh, I'm not saying that he's, you know, the guy, but uh, a guy like And I think we lost Mike for a second there is Mike's audio. So we'll, we'll <laughs> I think we'll try and work on that. Hopefully we'll get Mike back. But uh, in yeah. regards to Marcus Freeman, um, as someone who is uh, a younger coach, as, as Mike said, uh, Mike writes for uh, Fighting Irish Wire and also uh, for the USA Today Network. And I think that having Marcus Freeman, who is a, a younger guy, um, as we, we as uh, Mike mentioned, 35 years old, um, not too much older than, than some of the players, uh, someone who can relate to the players. I think that Mike is going to be uh, a really a boon for him because he's, he's, he's so young and uh, someone who has been with the players in, in that locker room and, and understands what they're going through. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I'm not sure if you guys got a chance to catch the, um, uh, the, the video from Saturday when uh, he officially you know, announced to the team that he was the head coach, they all just swarmed him. I mean, they just flocked into him and it was, it was a sight to see. I mean, the, the video is like literally 30 seconds and it's just like, wow, that's the players wanted him. And when, like I said earlier, when you went on social media and you saw players saying, this is our next coach, this is who we want. I think that that just tells you exactly the kind of guy he is. That's mm -hmm. what they wanted. And Jack Schwarbrick in the press conference after Brian Kelly had left said, it's not about the coach. The culture is not about the coach. The culture is about the student athletes. And he didn't necessarily say, yeah, there's the video right there. He didn't necessarily say that we are going to just, you know, hire Freeman. But I think that he knew in the back of his mind that that was his number one choice because the players have his back. And when a player has a coach's back and they want to play for that coach, I'm telling you, it's something different. It, it really is. And, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people who've been involved in athletics and even lower level athletics, I mean, you know, look at the reactions by these players. It, they are ecstatic. I mean, you don't see that. You really don't. And to have that connection with your players and have them backing you, that just means that they're going to fight just just that much harder for you when you get in the field. So, you know, I'm, it, it, it tells you a lot that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that that's the reaction that the, the players had. Because in all honesty, they're right. You know, it's, it's the Jimmys and the Joes. You know, a lot of the times, you know, X's and O's can win you games, but – at the end of the day, it's about who has better players. It really is. And, yeah, it plays a little bit more out in the NFL, uh, you know, because you know, it's any given Sunday out there. But, you know, when you look at the collegiate game, I mean, there's a reason why Alabama is sitting at the top of the mountain year in and year out. They, uh, they recruit the best across the board in the country. They have the best players. They yeah. really do. And when, when you have players who just want to play for you, it's something different and it's definitely something that you love to see. And you know, I think that that's a, that's a big, big point that Brian Kelly, I wouldn't say necessarily didn't have, but you know, finding his replacement in Freeman, I, I think that that is you know, it's exa exactly what Schwarberg was looking for. Right. 
Now, I will also add that uh, since our show is about, you know, Asian Americans, um, I, I did not know this until today. Uh, Freeman's mother is a Korean American and his mm -hmm. father was a, uh, in the military, serving, uh, serving in the military from what right. I'm told. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. for, I think a lot of Asian Americans, I think uh, Notre Dame just became a, a very, uh, uh, you know, a team to follow if they have no vested interest in college football. And hey, so. Yeah. And uh, go, ahead, go ahead and take a look at Tyler Buckner. He, he's uh, half Asian as well. So uh, there's, there's the a quarterback, lot of, right? the quarterback. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. should be the starter for next year as well. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you look at, uh, you, you know, these, this, team and the way i mean there's mom right there uh, you know you, you look you look at it and you, you say all right you know this is um you know a very diversified coaching staff on top of that a diversified group of players and i think that that speaks very highly of what the notre dame football team is and the way that they include everybody that you know is involved in it so you know, it's great to see the uh, the diversification there with, uh, you know, the, the staff and on top of it, the players. And it's just something else that you don't normally see. And uh, it's, it's really nice to see what they're building in South Bend because, you know, like I said, I, I really think that this could just, the, the hire here could mm -hmm. just make, you know, this sleeping giant, it really is. I mean, no championship since 88. It's been too long. You know, yeah. one of the, one of the most prestigious universities in the country on top of that the history that they have with football it's a sleeping giant it really is it's very similar to what in my estimation it's very similar to what happened to alabama in the 90s i mean they you know the historical program was there they just couldn't find the right coach and i think that you know for everything that brian kelly did that was great i think that he was just you know the, the big games just really was you know the bugaboo and I mean, we'll see what happens with Freeman when those big games come. But you know, you're going to have to give him a little bit of leeway because he's a first-year head coach. You know, he doesn't. You know, Kelly obviously coming from Cincinnati as well. He had that experience of being a head coach, so there's going to be some bumps in the road, of course. But uh, yeah. at the end of the day, when we look back at this, you know, you, I, I'm very confident that you know Marcus Freeman's going to bring a championship to South Bend. I really am. I think that it's going to be, you know, in a few years uh, when, you know, he really gets his hands on the whole roster. But I think very, very soon, I, I really do. Because I think that there's there's a little, there's a shift in power. Again, you know, it's, I mean, it's still Alabama and everybody else. But look at the other four teams in the college world playoff. They're, they're pretty much new teams. You know, we really haven't seen those other teams in there. I mean, obviously Cincinnati. Uh, the, the first G5 school to make it, yep. um, you know, mm -hmm. Georgia's been in there here and there, but uh, you sure. know, it, it's not very consistent. You know, the, the, right. the, the other big programs, the Oklahoma's uh, they're going through a coaching change, obviously with uh, Lincoln Riley leaving, uh, you know, Ohio state had a, I wouldn't say a down year, but uh, you know, their, their two biggest games of this year, they lost and, you know, Clemson was kind of a mess this year. So, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the opportunity to sneak in and be one of those top four teams uh, is right there. And I think that Notre Dame is one of those teams that can definitely step up and, and be one of those teams consistently for a long time. How important, Mike, was the uh, for Notre Dame 
to get Marcus Freeman in to shift that narrative to make it from Brian Kelly left us to get a coach, a young coach in here who can be the future out in the face of this program for a very long time. Uh, I think that that's exactly what they were looking for. Uh, sorry, that's my dog shoe. <laughs> hey, come on. Um, no more <laughs> and uh, you know, you know, I, I think that that was that was the one of the keys with uh, the Freeman hire. I think that the the age factor is just massively important. And when you look at it again, you know, you look at it, uh, a guy that could be around for 20, 25, 30 years. I mean, let's be real here. Like if he does everything right and he gets the program to where I believe that he can get the program to. They're going to continue to pay that man a lot of money and he's yeah. going to make his home in South Bend and he could go down as the greatest coach in Notre Dame history. I know that's, that's putting a lot in his boat yeah. there, uh, but I think that there's a lot of factors that are involved in it. I think he's taking over a program that doesn't need a lot of work. Sure. You know, it's not a rebuild here. This is more yeah. of a retool, if anything. I mean, they're a, you know, a, a top six team inside the college football playoff rankings. Uh, they made the college football playoff uh, you know, two of the last three years prior to this one. So for pretty much 50% of the time of the last four years, there's no, this is, this is not a, this is not a rebuild. Right. And I think that's, that's such a huge key. And, and as you guys mentioned before, being able to keep all of his assistants, I mean, everybody stayed like everybody stayed and you don't see that. You really don't, you don't see a, a coaching staff come in and retain everybody. Mm -hmm. And yeah, understandable, right? Freeman wasn't really a new guy. He's been working with those guys, you know, for the last year or so. But for him to be able to just say, all right, you know, I want you guys to stay. And for Jack Schwarber to make it happen as well, I think that says a lot. And I think that, you know, ultimately, you're you're looking at a a football team that's going to be really, really good. For, for the foreseeable future in my eyes. I, I think that they're gonna they're gonna rival, you know, the Ohio States and the Michigans, um, you know, just like it was back in the nineties. I think that that is, you know, those three teams are gonna become the powerhouse Midwest teams. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, it, it's, it's difficult for me to say this, but I think that Ohio State's grasp is on, on Midwest dominance is, is slipping a little bit. Yeah, I, you know, especially on the defensive side, it wasn't just this year; it was last year as yeah. well. When you look at it, so I, I think that the the preeminent power in the Midwest is still up there. Um, you know, I, I'm not as sold on Michigan. You know, they they might be a flash in the pan this year. Maybe everything worked well for them, mm-hmm. uh, but in all honesty, you know, I think that uh, the the Northern schools are going through a transition. And uh, I think that, again, this is something that, you know, that, that I could definitely see uh, Marcus Freeman and Notre Dame taking full advantage of and, uh, you know, really kind of getting to that next level because watch it. They're recruiting just takes this, this little tiny notch up. They're right there with the rest of the country. I, I mean, when you're talking about the best teams up there, so uh, if they can do it, you know, and, 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 I think they can. You're you're going to see a college football team that's const, that's consistently in you know in the conversation with a national championship. Awesome stuff, Mike Chen, uh, writer for Fighting Irish Wire. Um, we appreciate you coming on uh, short notice for the with us. Um, also at uh, Prep Red Zone as well. dot com slash Illinois. We have to we will make sure we plug everything for you. Hey, appreciate it, guys. <laughs> 
And, oh, wait, uh, wait, wait. Since we're talking college football, uh, let, let's end on this one. Micah, who, who's your pick for the uh, title? It's going to be an SEC rematch. Uh, you know, and this is like the conversation that uh, a lot of us were having on Sunday was how are they going to get ranked? You know, yeah. I, I actually thought that they were going to put Michigan one. Uh, you know, mm. I, I really did. I did too. Uh, I, I thought that they were going to go, <clears throat> excuse me. I thought they were going to go. I, I knew, I knew for a fact, for a fact that they were not going to put Alabama to play Georgia again in the yeah. semifinal. There, there was no chance for that happening. Um, and I just didn't think that Alabama would make that jump from where they were from four to one. I didn't think that that was going to happen. Um, and, you know, they, their win was fairly convincing, though. So I can understand the rationale behind that. Uh, I think that uh, it, it was always going to be Alabama playing Cincinnati, uh, regardless of what that seed was, whether Alabama was the two and Cincinnati was the three. I, I always thought that that was going to be the case. Uh, you know, it just it worked out that Alabama got the one, Cincinnati got the four. You know, it, it, they got it right. Um, the seeding was a little off. But uh, I think that ultimately uh, you're going to see a rematch of that SEC championship game. Uh, I think and it will be Alabama winning it. Right? Yeah, and I, I think so too. I think so too. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's so funny because, you know, yeah. I don't know if you guys got a chance to watch the Iron Bowl a couple weeks ago. I mean, Alabama, <sighs> Auburn just gave them that game. Right. That, right. Their, their, their yeah. running back did go out of, you know, he <laughs> had the opportunity to oh, stay man. in bounds and he went out of bounds and saved him like 30 seconds. Sure. And that was that that, 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 that you know, half minute, that was all that Alabama needed. And, and once they got into overtime, you knew Alabama was going to win that game. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I was like, I was just like, I can't believe, you know, I was watching this. I'm like, I, I cannot believe that Alabama was going to yeah. lose this game. And the window is open and Alabama doesn't miss those windows. Sure. They don't. No, no, no. And I had conversations. I had conversations with plenty of people during that SEC championship game, leading up to the SEC championship game. They're like, who do you got? Georgia's going to win this. I'm like, no, no. Nick Saban <laughs> is literally the greatest X and O's college football head coach of all time. Do you not think he's going to out, uh, you know, out scheme Kirby Smart on the other side? Yeah, he damn sure is. And that's exactly what happened. They, they found their way. They did exactly what they needed to do and they won the game and they won it convincingly. And once again, Alabama is at the top of the mountain and most right. likely, most likely we're going to see, you know, Georgia, Alabama rematch. And I see it going virtually the same way as it did in that SEC championship game where Alabama wins by, you know, two to three touchdowns. And, you know, we, we continue to talk about how this Alabama dynasty is going to go down as one of the greatest in college football history. Right. And Bryce Young for the Heisman too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I thought, yeah. I, thought he, I thought he clinched it when he beat I thought uh, so Auburn in the Iron, Iron Bowl. Yeah, what he he uh, 400 yards and uh, six touchdowns, I believe it was. You know, 400 plus yards, something like yeah, the that. The SEC championship, yeah. Right, yeah, against Georgia. I mean, you, you know, you're doing that against the team that was pretty much wire to wire number one in the country, uh, and on top of that, they came in with one of the best defenses in the country as well. And for Bryce Young to go out and do that, and yeah, he was inconsistent for parts of the year, yeah. but ultimately brought them to the number one seed in the college football playoff, an SEC championship. I just, I can't see him not winning it. I really can't. No, he's, he's sealed it for sure. I think so too. And there was, you know, there was, you know, watching the Michigan uh, Ohio state game there's, and then 
and then on top of that, watching the Big Ten championship game against Iowa for Michigan, there, there's a lot of talk uh, about a defensive player potentially winning the Heisman. That just mm-hmm. that, that's just that, that's just not how it yeah, works. That's, yeah. that's I just, not, that's just I not know he's a finalist, Aiden Hutchinson. He had a right, 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 yeah, right, right. probably a top top ten pick for sure. But yeah, maybe this is not the year for. It. No, this is not. You have to do maybe <laughs> if he you know caught a touchdown or something here and there. You know, it's just. It's just not enough. You know, he's a great player. And, you know, to be honest with you, uh, he might even go even higher than top 10. There, there's chatter that he could go one or two in, in the draft. And right. so, you know, I, I get it. <laughs> I understand. Right. Kid for sure. Absolutely. Right, right. And I get it. I understand it. But look, you know, a defensive guy, you know, unless, you know, and, and it's ironic that the last defensive player, Charles Woodson, uh, went to Michigan, Michigan and won the Heisman. But it's just – it's an offensive award, and I think I think the consensus is that Bryce Young is going to be holding up that bronze statue. Uh, I believe it's this Thursday. Yes, so, yeah. This, so yeah, it, uh, yeah. So uh, you know, and, and it's weird. Alabama guys, when they go to New York, it doesn't phase them. They always win. Not one day, <laughs> right. and they they win, and you know they they go out and they perform. You know, there's no Heisman hangover for those guys. They're just no. isn't. No, and, and they're, uh, they're mentally tough, and Nick Saban has, has shown that uh, year and year again, and kind of like what Bill Belichick did with his Patriots. They're mentally tough, and he, he puts them through all types of scenarios, and that's why they win. Yeah, that's uh, 100%. It, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the way Nick Saban does things. And, um, you know, it, it's it's rough watching it because, you know, it, they're, they're, they're like the New York Yankees back <laughs> in the day where you just you want to see them lose, but they just don't. Uh, but you know you you have to you have to respect the fact that um, he's built that program into an absolute juggernaut, and year in and year out they are one of the best teams in the country, regardless of who's at what position. And it's just absolutely amazing what Nick Saban has done. And uh, you know it, it looks like if you know, we're going to judge it, then, you know, they're they're probably going to be holding up that crystal ball. <laughs> it's uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, it is what it is. Well, Mike, uh, Mike Chen of the Fighting Irish Wire and uh, uh, we of uh, the USA Today Network, we really appreciate you coming on, talking college Always football and Notre Dame. And uh, you know what? We we may have you come on again next month for the, just hey. to talk about the college football playoff. <laughs> uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. My, um, you know, I'm more than willing to, so uh, just let me know, guys. Absolutely. Mike Chen, thank you very much. And uh, thank you, Michael. our next guest coming up soon in the, in the next break, will be uh, Ben Koo, and that'll be coming up after this message on the Double A Team. Really understanding the difference between empowerment and agency versus objectification. And the difference is always who has the power. If I choose that I feel my best and, and I look my best and I'm the most confident in a certain outfit, then I am empowering myself to make that choice and to tell you that I'm, I, I'll show you who I am and let you know who I am. You can't make those decisions based off what I'm wearing. But if it's objectification because the producers or directors or whoever runs the show is saying you have to wear a dress every show and high heels have to be this high, and you have to dye your hair blonde, it's a very different thing, right? So right. I do think we have to remember that because a lot of people will look at women who are stepping into their own sexuality and, and accuse them of not being also allowed to talk about harassment and other things. They're very different things. It's about choice and power. The coaching by both Coach Griffin and Dylan in youth football, 
but that had just ended. It was Dylan's season had just ended, and when Griffin passed away, um, and so then, I, as I said, my mom she had um, prior to Griffin passing away though. Uh, on it was a Mother's Day, actually the day after Mother's Day that very year, she found out she had stage four uterine cancer, mm-hmm. and um, so she survived an un, uh, just a lethal um, surgery where they removed a lot, um, and so she somehow survived that only to eight months later pass away. Um, and so there was kind of a rough time there where for me it felt like everybody was going nobody was coming yeah and um and so uh yeah i i that led me to a, a serious serious bout of depression to the point where um in august of 2015 i actually shot myself and in the head underneath the chin and um with the intention of not being here. Uh, and so as I look back now, um, everything I didn't have to live for, I now have to live for. And so um, it, it was just a period of time where it, life was tough. And it was once you get down, what my experience is, once I got down that low, um, it didn't feel like it was ever going to end, and uh, unless I ended it. The past year has seen a 1,900% rise in anti-Asian hate crime in New York City alone, with 2,800 incidents reported across 47 states and Washington, D.C. This is a national crisis, and we need your help to call it out. Call it a crime. Call it what it is, racism. Let's stand up together against hate. Learn more at stopaapihate.org. We're back on the AA team, Ken Fang, along with Stephen Nagishi. And uh, we like to bring in our next guest. Um, he is uh, a person who brought me into awful announcing, I, I think, almost 10 years ago, maybe more than 10 years ago. Oh, God. I, <laughs> right. And it's crazy. The world was much different back then. It, it was. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's Ben Koo, the Chinese Jew. Uh, and I and, he, and I say that and I don't worry about me saying that because he put that in his Twitter introduction. And so yes. that I, I often call, call him that. Um, and uh, he is the owner and CEO of Comeback Media, which is encompasses not only just the comeback.com, but awful announcing. And for disclosure purposes, I am a contributor to both and a writer for awful announcing. And that's where you get your daily viewing picks. That's where I, uh, I, I send them all, all the time. Ben, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for having me, Ken and uh, Stephen. Uh, listening earlier, I've checked out a few episodes. You guys have really... Uh, found a groove and i think you guys are off to, to big things i hope thank, thank you, you very much thanks um, very much ben. and uh um we'll talk a little bit about our first interview which was with mike chen he was talking a little bit about how ohio state was slipping um uh what seems to be uh, did you see that face ben is a uh, ohio <laughs> state alumnus and lives in columbus so uh, i figured i throw that shot in but we'll talk about that a little bit later on but okay. ben 
let's talk a little bit first about how you got to get uh, to, to, to become the owner of the comeback and awful announcing. Um, at one time, awful announcing was dead. It was a uh, it was a rival site of mine. I used to write at Fangs Bites, uh, which is also dormant now. But uh, awful announcing uh, was uh, a part uh, was being run, and it, it just was dormant for a while. And you came along and brought it back. Yeah, I uh, I was working in the sports blog space in two thousand and eight and nine, and I uh, I loved awful announcing. I loved how. You could watch a game, and this was in Twitter's infancy, and people would go, I don't like this guy, or they screwed that up, or I think they need to do this better. You know, It could be the NCAA selection show where they waited 45 minutes before revealing the bracket, and we'd all be like bemoaning um, you know, something. And Awful Nazi would always kind of take everyone's kind of thoughts and you know, put it into you know, really good articles. And, you know, the site would break some stories if, if people were getting hired at networks or if sports rights were moving from one network to another network. And I thought it was really interesting. And I thought uh, this space deserves a site um, and one written for fans, not for like the, the business people. And so when the site just stopped publishing, uh, I thought that was a shame. And I said, I, I think this is interesting. I think enough people do. And I talked with the owner. And uh, he saw that I had good intentions and I was passionate and I wanted my, you know, to run the site myself and be very involved. And so we, we acquired that site um, over 10 years ago. Uh, you're right, Ken, it's been 10 years ago. And things have gone well. There's been many adventures and stories and changes. But I think, uh, you know, the fact that the site's still around and a lot of sites have changed ownership or changed or gone away. Um, I think it speaks a lot that people really like sports media and discussing how they uh, consume sports media. It seemed to be that our um, competition used to be the big lead and dead spin, and we don't see much of them anymore, but now we have other sites, but awful announcing keeps going. And you also brought in the comeback. What made you think, uh, what made you uh, decide to bring in the comeback and also combine it in with awful announcing? Well, we had a lot of people writing about sports media and, you know, we were making that some people's full-time jobs, but the, the space is very limited. Um, so if there's a slow day um, and I'm employing you full-time to kind of cover news um, and there, there's just a slow news day in sports media, not much has happened. We thought it would make sense to have a site where we could uh, write additional content about sports and pop culture um, that site, uh, has grown and especially the last like few months has grown a lot. And it's also just like getting more scale, um, having two sites to monetize, having a larger audience. Um, you know, yeah, I, am going to have to check out the full interview with Mike cause maybe I'll have a retort to Ohio state slipping <laughs> and then I'll, 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 I'll go on the comeback.com and I'll, I'll write my retort. <laughs> Well, I initially approached uh, Ben uh, beginning uh, about this idea for the show. And Ben was actually kind enough to uh, introduce uh, Ken as our co-host. And uh, as the, everybody else say, the rest has been history. And, and uh, Ben has been uh, kind enough to uh, give us props for uh, our work together. Uh, you know, we've only been uh, show, show number five right now. But, uh, you know, with the help of uh, Aldo Gandia, 
who is also like you, the uh, owner and editor in chief of uh, the Barroom Network in Chicago, has uh, been very, very supportive and uh, from this uh, venture from very, uh, from the very, very beginning. So we want to thank both of you, uh, gentlemen, for uh, bringing us together. Um, I want to talk to you about the uh, the current state of uh, sports media. Um, what kind of trends are, are are you seeing right now that's been, been encouraging, or what are some of the things that we should be focusing on uh, going forward that you, you might say, um, uh, boy, this is not going in the right direction of sorts? Well, I think there's more bad than good. I, I, I think Ken might agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that I've been tweeting about a lot lately is we're seeing poor picture quality um, mm-hmm. as ESPN is under some some mandate from Disney to cut production costs. So you're seeing a lot of camera views. You're seeing events being broadcasted with less cameras. So if there's a replay you need to see a definitive angle on, uh, you're less likely to get it. And some of the, the, the actual picture quality – you're beginning to see suffer in events like college football, college basketball, um, soccer was this last weekend. Um, yeah, no, it, it, it looked like they're being shot from a high rise building several blocks away. Yeah, that's how bad they are. I, I, we used to complain that's how it was with CONCACAF soccer, uh, with mm-hmm. the CONCACAF qualifiers, but now they're being brought into Disney. So, uh, maybe those produce same producers that do the CONCACAF soccer World Cup qualifiers, Ben. Are being brought to do the uh, to do world to do uh, college football for uh, especially Pac-12 football, uh, yeah. which really is being suffering the most on the, yeah. the production quality from ESPN. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm going to highlight, and I've I've been really feisty on Twitter about it and vocal um, because you know we can debate if if Sports Center's gotten better or worse, or the studio shows or the writing or whatever, but like you, the main most of the time the audience comes to ESPN, we're watching the game, you know? And for uh, a step back like this, uh, it's discouraging because you notice it. You spend a lot of money on a, on a good TV. Maybe you're watching another game on another channel, or maybe you're like me. You have two TVs next to each other, and one looks like totally fine what you're used to, and you look at the other one, and you're like, is it my TV? Is it uh, my cable company? And it, it's ESPN trying to save money. And everyone notices, or you know, a lot of people notice. And um, you know, there are things, there are people in sports media, and there's personalities that maybe I don't like, but I know a lot of people like them. So I would say, oh, this has gone to hell. But that's just a personal opinion. There's nobody out there who is like, I like it when the picture's bad, you know. So, <laughs> so you know, regardless of my opinions or our site's opinions or what's popular on Twitter. Uh, what I'm going to fight for is just, you know, you hate to see something like that coming up with, with a lot of regularity. So sure. I, I would say that's a trend that I'm, I'm really concerned with right now. You're seeing more remote production. Um, you know, you're seeing less politics being purposely. And I think we lost Ben for a second. We'll uh, vamp for a little bit there, but mm-hmm. I, I know where Ben was talking about because I'm, uh, I, I know uh, a lot. I'm privy to a lot of those conversations that we have about ESPN. And one of the things I'm going to a- ask him, uh, ask Ben when we get him back, is the uh, the produ- the uh, public relations uh, departments uh, for the various networks which have contacted us over the years uh, in regards to some of the things we've written. Uh, 
and of course, one of the funnier things is that, uh, of course, when people don't like what we've written, uh, they'll come and complain and they'll say, look, uh, and we expect that. But uh, there's one sure. particular um, public relations department that is uh, hot, uh, that is head and shoulders above the rest as far as complaining in regards to stuff we write. And I'll, I'll ask Ben about that. I know what the answer is, but Ben will answer that. <laughs> I think he knows what I'm talking about. But, Stephen, um, some of the things that uh, – have you seen stuff like that in, as far as poor quality as as, as far as uh, when you watch uh, your, your games? Did you, is that something you've noticed? You know, I, I'm not fully – uh, engaged as, as you guys are, but you know, I've, I've, uh, seen some of the things that was being written on, on awful announcing, um, obviously the MLS, uh, uh, Eastern conference game last, uh, last su Sunday, yesterday, obviously was brought up. And then I know pack 12 game, I believe Stanford and Oregon, that was a pretty bad, uh, yeah, it was really uh, horrible. quality game. Mm -hmm. I do remember that one as well. Yeah. And one thing I like to, I jokingly, I joke about is that whenever I watch CONCACAF um, World Cup qualifiers, they, yeah. they seem to be shot from high-rise buildings across the street. We have Ben back now. and um, uh, Nice to have you back. Uh, one thing uh, that I, I was talking to Stephen about, that one thing that we've noticed about it, awful announcing, is that, of course, public relations departments will complain when we write something negative. But uh, and I know the answer to this, and I know that you're probably going to give me the answer. Is there one particular network that we have seen that has come out and just completely come over and complained about stuff that we've written? I mean, we I, I think networks have generally been fair with us. I think we have a, a pretty non-warm relationship with Fox Sports. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we uh, we've been critical of a few things, and I think. Uh, you know, the, the interesting thing is uh, Colin Cowherd went on a podcast recently and basically said, what's the point of PR? No one – like no one's going to listen. You know, uh, you know, you shouldn't – don't deal with this. Whatever the bad stuff people are saying about Fox or ESPN, it's going to go away. And, you know, just, just – it, it, it doesn't matter. Just don't – don't whatever. And I think mm -hmm. that's part of Fox's um, – kind of philosophy and you know i think there's some merit to that so th there's some times where we're trying to get some kind of information about something positive like when is this show airing are we or something like that and it sometimes it's a little odd to not get a response in like two or three days yes, uh, right but i think you know generally um you know th th nine times out of ten we're getting at least a fair shake uh, you know, and, and, you know, I think we, we have some times where we're not in agreement about something. Uh, but I think, I think the, in, the incidents where I'm really like you, someone at the site, maybe it's you, maybe it's me, uh, are really kind of like these people are bonkers or they're being rude. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it, it, it's not that frequent. They, they, you know, I think people generally have thick skin. And, you know, maybe there's like an incident a month where you're like, that guy was being an asshole or that woman was really kind of being a little bit ridiculous. But we're, we're doing like 10 stories a day. So that's like 300 stories. So if you have one incident a month where you're really butting heads with someone, that, that's one out of 300. So I'll generally say that uh, the PR folks, uh, you know, they, they pick and choose their battles. And I think some of that's because we push back on them when we don't think they're they're – 
you know, right. sometimes there's not a, we're not going to see it eye to eye. So why just kind of, you know, have it out, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Ken, what's your, what's your take on this? Uh, well, I, I think because I tweet more, I think ESPN came down on me quite a bit. Uh, especially during the early Monday night football days when I was, uh, I would pick on John Gruden for saying this guy a lot. Yeah. Um, they would, they would get on my case. Uh, there's certain PR guys. I'm not going to mention them because they're not worth mentioning, but I will say that sometimes I will say uh, I got called out for something I didn't write um, something. Uh, uh, a network called me up uh, while I was driving uh, and, and yelled at me. And I go, well, I, that's very nice, but I didn't write that article. I just want to let you know that uh, Matt Yoder wrote that. And uh, she said, well, what is Matt Yoder's number? I said, I'm not going to give you that number. I, you must have it somewhere. Um, but if you want to talk to Matt, you know, I'll certainly pass the message along. And But she said, are you sure you didn't write that? And I said, yes, I, I'm very sure I didn't write that because I know I didn't write that because Matt yeah. Yoder wrote it. So, um it was very funny, but um, you know, mm-hmm. for for the most all intents and purposes, now uh, they're mellowed quite a bit. But I think in the early days of Twitter, um, I would constantly get uh, stuff from Flack from uh, from ESPN, especially because I think they they treat the I think because first of all they're in Bristol, not in one of the major metropolitan centers, and also they are just treat the uh, they kind of they kind of treat the place like the Kremlin so it's very secretive and very very um, um, they just protect it with, a, with at all costs yeah I mean I, I generally think there's like standards in terms of the way you know they should treat us and we should treat them and sometimes we get into a little bit of gray area and we'll duke it out the one I mean I'll, I'll give you a good one which just didn't sit well with me and I think you might know who this person is. Uh, someone made fun of Urban Meyer on a, and this is, I, I didn't even like Urban Meyer at this point. Uh, he had left Ohio State and gotten in some trouble. But I think it was John Anderson uh, said, there's Urban Meyer watching the game. He's had a mir- miraculous recovery from his health <laughs> issue. But, you know, Urban Meyer did have some documented health issues, so I, I thought it was like a cheap shot. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, I, I, I'm curious if ESPN is going to comment on it because I heard Urban Meyer was furious. <clears throat> and a bunch of Michigan fans really piled on me. I think I got like 300 replies, like whatever. And someone called me like a cuck swear word. <laughs> Yikes. And the, the, an ESPN PR guy like liked the tweet, you know? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> So like this guy's like you're you're a cuck you know bi you know that word and I'm like whoa <laughs> and then I didn't really care I was taking it from all angles I got thick skin I'm like you know it's, it's odd that an ESPN PR guy who I emailed about this and said is ESPN going to do anything he liked the tweet and then I I confronted him I said it seems a little like a low blow yeah. and he, he apologized and uh, and then he. Uh, he was like, yes, there was an apology. It was private. Uh, I, I think he didn't think I was going to say anything about it, but I, I said that's that seems real lame, you know, like, and uh, yeah, that, that's one time. But, you know, we've been doing this 10 years, and I've only had a couple heated conversations with anyone at PR across all the networks, and they've sent you some nice things when you've had some <clears throat> things going on in your life. Um, yeah. You know, I – I talk to these people. I, I, you know, I know how their families are doing and so on. So I, I think generally we, we do. Okay. 
Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, now, I know that you're, you're a big Ohio State guy, and, and Mike Chen, who was on with us earlier, was talking about how the, the hiring of, of Marcus Freeman uh, was good for Notre Dame, and I think it probably is very good for Notre Dame, and he felt that Notre Dame is probably on the precipice of taking over the Midwest football over from Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, you being very biased in regards to this, and you're being an Ohio State guy, how, you feel, how do you feel about that, uh, that statement? Oh, Mark Chen. What? What? That's what he said? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, here, here's the thing. I, I, you know, we'll find out. We play Notre Dame next year. We play him the next year. And I, I don't think you can just make assumptions like that. He said <laughs> eventually. He didn't say right away, but he did say. No. Uh, they, yeah, within two, position. three years. That's what he said. Re regimes are not toppled so easily. You know, like <laughs> Jim Trestle came here in 2001. Yeah. And this team's been like in the top five, probably like three years out of four. You know, they finish in the top five, and they might do it this year. They win their their bowl game, they're yeah. gonna finish in the top five. So mm -hmm. Notre Dame has done well under Brian Kelly. Sure. Whenever there's a coaching thing, you never know how it goes. Look at any coaching big at Florida State, Miami. Um, you know, with Manny, look at the hires from like three, four years ago. People like two years ago, Ed Orgeron won SEC Coach of the Year. So I am very skeptical of any hire coming in and, and then people going, it's fixed and we're now the best. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, Nebraska would be back, Miami would be back, Michigan wouldn't have gone through the Brady Hoke and Rich Rod years. So Marcus Freeman seems like a good hire, but everyone kind of seems like a good hire at the time. So uh, I'm glad Mike's feeling good, and that could happen. <laughs> That's why they play the game. That's why they play the game. It, it, it could happen. It could happen. I'm not saying Notre Dame can't be better than Ohio State and Michigan. Um, but, you know, I don't think you just, like, you know, go from the bronze to the gold with a hire. I think uh, – the, you can't. You can never make assumptions of like a program making a, a an elevation, but you know it, it's very, it's very plausible. But you know, I got to I got to rewatch this and talk with Mike at some point. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely have you uh, guys together, and then we could probably do yeah. like a roundtable. You know where we do freestyle. And hey, they're that. coming to Columbus <laughs> next year. Tell Mike to come down. I'll put in the word with sure the people. <laughs> And you know we'll, we'll bet we'll bet dinner. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew this would get you off. I knew I would that yeah. would be able to set you off. So you being a very very big uh, Ohio State guy, and notice I, I, I notice how I've never really said anything about Ohio State in the time that I've worked with uh, awful announcing. So I, I basically oh, you're, you're free to. I, if you look at the history of awful announcing and the comeback. We have plenty of negative. I I do negative coverage of, of you know Ohio State, so yeah. I I don't take it too. You know, my tweets are generally kind of making fun of the fan base. You know, yeah, we have a lunatic fan base that does not speak well to yeah. <laughs> for the state. And I mean, so they, on, they, so. I mean, they drove Kirk Herb Street away from Columbus. I mean, that's yeah. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. So um, now he's living in Nashville, but he that he here's a guy who is an Ohio he's State back. alumnus. He's back. Oh, he's back okay. in Cincinnati now, I believe. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. But, okay. but he, enough, they, they basically drove him out of Columbus, and he, <laughs> and he had to move away. So right, right, right. there's a there's a, a, a significant overlap of Ohio State 
super fans and and QAnon is what I what I would say. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> well, sometimes yeah, the fanatics uh, can go in, in towards that direction for sure. Definitely. Yeah, it's, I mean it's not even like a joke. <laughs> there yeah, there's yeah. significant overlap. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you think of the? Uh, you know, um, Amazon's role in uh, getting sports uh, broadcasting day, you know, the uh, Thursday night football, obviously this month is being broadcasted uh, on the NFL network and on Amazon. Do you think Amazon is going to really disrupt the, uh, the sports broadcasting scene? And if so, uh, what kind of impact do you think it will have? Yeah, I, I think they're strongly considering it. You know, they have Thursday night football starting next year. They might end up with Sunday ticket. They might buy uh, equity in NFL Network, which makes total sense because, like, if all these new people are going to start watching Thursday Night Football on Amazon and people are signing up, they're going to want those people to watch other things on Amazon. So they need more football content. Uh, You know, I was talking to Steven about how I'm working on this, like, uh, Bishop Sycamore documentary. and. One of the people we talked to was Amazon, and you know, I said to them, uh, you know, Fox is pimping the Madden thing like crazy, the John Madden documentary. Right. And then, like a couple weeks ago, Al Michaels was was promoting like a Paris Hilton show on Peacock. You know, um, so Amazon's gonna have Thursday Night Football, and they don't have like TV shows to be like check out Young Sheldon or check out. You know, it's going to be like buy sweatshirts. They're going to need like football content. So people stay within the Amazon video uh, experience. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, step one, Thursday night football. Step two, maybe Sunday night football on NFL Network. And I I think step three down the line is going to be like, can we play a role at local with the RSNs? Um, Because that, that thing is like cratering. And someone's going to have to come in and figure out a new way to do it. And, you know, they already, I think Ken knows they're, they're invested in the yes network. Yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I, I think they are going to be involved because if they're, they're not like other tech companies who have been taking little, little like bites, you know, mm-hmm. they ordered a steak, they have Thursday night football. And so the numbers would have to be terrible for them to just like move away from this process. They, 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 they are, this is going to snowball. These things usually snowball unless there's some type of regime change at Amazon, which is going to be more transformative than Marcus Freeman taking Notre Dame. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Another shot there. <laughs> One thing we've seen, I think over the last 10 years, uh, ben, in our coverage of the sports media is that when we began, ESPN was the big elephant in the room. Cable was about 100 million, almost on a level viewing plane with broadcast television. Since that time, we've seen them fall off. And now streaming is the big thing. Um, do we think that, I mean, you talked a little bit about Amazon, but do we think streaming is going to be playing a big part in sports rights over the next 10 to 15 years? I think... It's going to be the status quo for five to 10 where sports rights are going to be acquired and they're going to say, well, it's going to air on CBS, but we can also stream it on Paramount plus, or maybe some of these lesser games. Uh, You know, I think uh, if you look at the conference deals ESPN's doing, you know, it's like, Hey, some of your games are going to be on ABC broadcast television. 
Some of them are going to be on ESPN. Some of them are going to be on SEC Network, which is like you know this other cable thing we have. And then we're gonna we're gonna put some on ESPN Plus behind a paywall. So I think if you think of it at those like three or four levels, whether you consider SEC Network kind of different than ESPN, uh, I think you're just going to continue to have deals done where little chunks, the leftovers, are going to be put onto streaming for some lesser things, and that slice of the media rights pie is going to get bigger. But I think your your traditional top half of of games and stuff, you know, like I haven't had to watch an Ohio State basketball game or football game yet on streaming. Is that going to be the case in, you know, four or five years? You know, if the, if the NFL has taken the plunge of like streaming only, that's the green light for everyone else to say we can put our shit on streaming. So mm-hmm. if someone's going to write a check to put it on streaming, uh, you know, it, it's going to happen. And you're, you're seeing that with a lot of stuff. And, I, you know, it, it's somewhat annoying, but as long as it's um, the production quality is okay and you're able to kind of sort it out, I'm more worried about like some of our parents, you know, like, hey, mom, my mom went to Michigan, so that, that's odd. Uh, you know, mom, you gotta, you gotta open up, uh, the zone to watch the Michigan basketball game. You know, (laughs) that's not going to go well. You know, I was there two weeks ago and it was a disaster trying to set up different electronics for them. So yeah, Mm -hmm. things, things are going to, um, you know, things are going to continue to move to streaming. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I was trying to watch a wrestling match, not like WWE wrestling, but like college wrestling. And uh, oh, yeah, I remember you te- tweeting about that because uh, you had to pay without a trial subscription or something. Like that. Well, n- not even just the trial. I was like, it-, it was basically the number one versus number two in a weight class was going to happen, which rarely happens mm-hmm. early on in the season. So I'm like, I'll check that out. And I, you know, before I've done this with different services and it's like $9.99 for the month. And I go and it was like, it's 150 bucks for the year. And I'm like, yeah, but what's the month? And I, I, I look more, and it's just one year. That the, there's no, you know, when you go to sign up for a site, there's like one month author offer, the one year, the two year, and you you pick. This was this was give us hundred fifty dollars, and I said I'm not giving you hundred fifty dollars. <laughs> so you you know, I think they need to keep things accessible. Right. You know, the cost so, is always going to be the key in these subscriptions. Yeah. One thing uh, Ben has been uh, doing and, and his reporting was fantastic was the Bishop Sycamore high school controversy. This team, which had been not only playing just high school football, but be playing multiple games a week with these players. Um, it's something that we're seeing with a lot of uh, this really took off. It be, not only become a, a viral sensation, but multiple outlets reported on it. Um, so, um, Let's uh, we'll talk a little bit about this uh, uh, as much as we can, Ben. So, what can you tell us in regards to this and about a documentary that we're trying to do? Yeah, so it, it was the end of August, and uh, Bishop Sycamore is playing basically the number one or two team in the country on ESPN. And you know, I'm sitting on my couch and I'm seeing some tweets, and and basically the announcer says something like. We'd like to tell you more about Bishop Sycamore, but they're really a mystery. We don't know anything about them. We're worried about their safety. 
because this game is is totally unfair and is out of hand. And like you know, ESPN's base, they were so angry. The the announcers were legitimately pretty angry about the game, and they kept saying like number twelve makes the tackle for Bishop Sycamore. We don't know who that is because we weren't provided rosters. Um, <laughs> and so you know, I'm I'm on this kind of early. Try, trying to figure out like how, well, how did this team get there? Who are they? They're allegedly from Columbus and people I know on Twitter are saying I've coached here 20 years. I don't know who these guys are. Other people are, you know, saying things. So I, I look into it, you know, they don't have a, they don't have a school building. Um, the players are not high school age. Um, they had played under another name and got busted for not being a high school. Um, the, the, there's just like, you know, they, they owe a lot of people money. The the head coach uh, had a warrant out for his arrest. Uh, and it's it's one of those things is where everyone just wants more answers. Uh, you give them yeah. one more answer, you give a few answers, and it still doesn't make sense. And then they have like 10 more questions, you know, like, why would you send your kid to play there? Where did the kids sleep? Did the kids, you know, the kids weren't eating enough. Uh, we had someone we, we taped for the documentary say they came in at 205. And they left after three months at like 180 because uh, they, they, they were stealing food to, to eat. So, um, you know, and the other thing was I the, the thing that kind of got me rolling on this was I, I reported – I was the first one to report on, on a few things. But I think as early as a few hours after the game ended, I had figured out that they were playing two games in one weekend, you know, because they were getting money to play other schools, uh, which, which is essentially – a big part of this is that uh, really good schools can't find anyone to play. No right. one wants to go and get their butt kicked against a really good school. But the other school wants to play because they can fill up their 10,000-seat uh, stadium. You know, $10 a ticket, 10,000 seats, that's $100,000. Uh, people buy a hot dog, they pay for parking. You know, that could be $200,000. That's a huge amount of money for a high school that pays for all the other sports and so on. So there's this business model where you can kind of invent a fake school and they go, well, you know, we don't really have money. You need a game. Pay us $25,000 to come up there, you know, so for hotel and busing sure. uh, and we'll play. And there's streaming money as well and so on. So um, th- that that's the motivation of Bishop Sycamore. And there's a lot of victims in, the, in this situation. And uh, – there's a lot of people trying to tell the full story. HBO is uh, moving forward, although you know, everyone's so interested in this story and everyone in Hollywood um, wants to tell the story. And a lot of the people at the networks are concerned because they don't want to do the second or third best Bishop Sycamore documentary. There's some need for some of the projects to co- consolidate. Um you know, and if there's 15 people who have great information on the story, and I think I'm one of them, but they're divided up into four different projects, it, it, it becomes this kind of like quagmire uh, that I'm, you know, I'm trying to neg- uh, navigate through. And I've been here with, with uh, you know, two different groups of people doing some filming. Uh, so I, I'm interested to see what shakes out. It, it's, it, I, I was speaking with the person, my agent, who's kind of helping me, and he said, this is a this has become almost as interesting in terms of who's going to make the documentary on what channel than the actual controversy itself. So, uh, yeah. I hope you get a proper credit though. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm excited to do it, and we're, we're still kind of working on it. But yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely like a messy thing. That I've, I've learned a lot. I've learned a ton, and I, I know a lot more about the story that I want to get out there. And I hope like things kind of sort itself out pretty quickly. Well, Ben Ku, the Chinese Jew, um, <laughs> the owner and CEO of Comeback Media, um, the head of uh, the Comeback and Awful Announcing. The guy who hired me almost over 10 years ago to come to Awful Announcing. Um, a guy who's, who's been my friend for this uh, all this time. And uh, Ben uh, and also managed to get me and connected into with Steven and Aldo to, for this show. So um, you're a deal maker and uh, you're definitely not a deal breaker. So and we appreciate you coming on and uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. You said it's been 10 years. I think like eight years ago I met you in yes. person. Yes, you, you did. Told me how old you were. I didn't believe it because I thought you looked way younger. Can you continue even eight years past when we met? You continue to age wonderfully, and I hope <laughs> I, I hope I share. Ben, uh, thank you so much. Uh, on short notice tonight. I know you have to go pick up your wife at the airport. Uh, I'm in Columbus now, so I will see you hopefully very very soon before the end of the year for yeah. your meal or something like that. Yeah, no, I, I'd love to. I, I said I, I'd take you up on that. So glad you're here. Thank you for having me on. I would like the address of Mike Chen and his phone <laughs> number, and, and and we'll go from there. Uh, I'm okay. sure Stephen can provide that to you. Yeah, so. well, I'll, I'll provide him. Uh, All right. So, Thanks uh, so much, guys. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. All right. Ben, thank you very much. And the Double A team will continue right after this. And gentlemen, this is what's going to happen. It happens every freaking year. We'll probably win some games at the end of the road. But honestly, I'm thinking longevity for our team. I, I'm not wishing for us to lose. But if we win these games, Matt Nagy is going to freaking stay. And I don't, and I respectfully don't want that because I just feel like Matt Nagy, man, bro, you've been, you're awesome, bro. You're a good man. I would love to like shake your hand one day, take a picture with you. But in terms of leading this team of men, leading this team to a championship team, there's no, he's not saying I want to win Super Bowl Chicago. He's not saying that. He's not saying I want to win a division. He's not saying that. He's not saying we have the best defense in the, in the country. No, he's complimenting everybody else. He's not saying we're going to have the best quarterback ever. Justin Fisk, he's not saying that. He's not proclaiming his team. And I respectfully want a coach who's going to, who's going to cast a vision that we're going to go forward. He's been talking about the why for so many years, but the why is the damn Super Bowl. And that's not being talked about, and that's not being talked about enough. So, therefore, why win these games, Aldo? Because it's, 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 like, it's like, no, we need to rip the band up. We have to go to bad. We have to be able to accept what's about to happen. If we lose the next seven games, I'm, I won't be upset. I'm like, it's like, all right, this is what we expect because it's a false positive if we do win the next seven games. I'm like, I don't believe you, bro. I don't believe you. You're only doing it because you're going fired. But you should have thought about that week one. Why is your team not prepared for Sunday? Why is your team not prepared for Sunday at this stage in the game? And we're back on the double-A team. Um, Ken Fang, along with Stephen Nagishi. Thanks to our guests, uh, Mike Chen of Fighting Irish Wire and Ben Koo, owner and CEO of Comeback Media and the uh, fearless leader of the Comeback and Awful Announcing and my boss. So we thank them very much. Uh, thank them both yeah. for coming on. Stephen, let's uh, talk briefly here. Uh, uh, 
This is a Bears-centric network. The Barnum Network is. So let's talk a little bit about the Bears yesterday. Um, the Arizona Cardinals coming in, a West Coast team playing mostly in a dome, coming in and then uh, pretty much wiping the Bears out yesterday. Uh, really, uh, we always we wondered if uh, Kyler Murray uh, was going to be uh, have any rust after three weeks off, and uh, mm-hmm. he didn't have any rust after three Not weeks at all. off. Well, yeah. I mean, if you play the Bears, you you will look good. No question. <laughs> I mean, listen, the, the game itself was ugly as the weather itself. There's no question about that. And I don't want to beat a dead horse, but, you know, it's just basically you're furthering the, uh, you know, delaying the inevitable that uh, Matt Nagy is going to get fired. Now, Obviously, him, uh, his son getting harassed, uh, you know, uh, Thanksgiving game uh, was unacceptable. And uh, look, you know, he's a fine guy. Obviously, none of us have met, never met, but I'm just going to based on, you know, what I've heard and what I've seen uh, of him. I'm sure he's a decent guy, and I think we can agree on that. But as a head coach, I think he just basically uh, just – up to it, out, you know, he's just basically overmatched um, and just really got nothing left to prove at this point. You know, four and eight, you know, you're basically done with the playoffs. I don't think there isn't anybody in the world out there uh, who's a Bears fan that uh, uh, this time there will be no miracles. Obviously, um, I've seen enough of him. Um, you know, Andy Dalton playing yesterday. To think that he was actually QB1 before Justin Fields got drafted. Obviously, Nagy wanted this guy to, you know, help win ball games, But, you know, his arms just isn't strong enough anymore. He threw four picks. Obviously, not all of them were his fault. But the fact of the matter is he threw four picks. And that's, uh, you know, undeniable. Um, the talent level is very, very bad right now. The depth is uh, completely gone with so many injuries and I think you can now make a strong case that uh, maybe both Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy uh, both needs to be wiped off um, and then start with a clean slate Um, you know next week if the Packers completely destroy the Bears and if Andy Dalton is still playing rather than Justin Fields who's you know nursing the uh, a broken rib um it will probably going to get ugly. And and I'm very surprised that the uh, NFL did not flex this game uh, to, you know, avoid any um, uh, embarrassment for us Bears fans. Yeah. And uh, I got to say that uh, in some of the, the, the inserts I saw in NFL red zone yesterday, um, it just wasn't a very uh, well-played game for the uh, Bears and it's just one of those situations where uh, Arizona was just running roughshod all, all over Chicago. And, and you're right. Uh, uh, the NFL had a perfect opportunity to flex out uh, Green Bay and Chicago in, in uh, next week for the prime time. But uh, they're going to keep that that game there. I know why they're keeping it there, because Aaron Rodgers and Chicago is a big market and mm-hmm. they'll get 20 million viewers uh, despite uh despite the fact that at least it, it may be a blowout, but mm-hmm. I think uh, the, uh, the NFL wants to have an NFL central game or NFL North game, as we call yeah. it now, 
They right. want an NFL division, and they want that uh, uh, glorified rivalry that between the Bears and the, and the Packers in prime time. But um, based on what we saw on Sunday, this may be quite ugly next Sunday. Yeah, um, you know, we're, we're, I think all of us Bears fans are pretty much accept accepted the uh, inevitable that, uh, or you know, there's no point in delaying this. You know, um, Matt Nagy's a goner. I think we can all agree on that. Um, there's so many things that uh, that bothers me about Matt Nagy uh, as a head coach, but you know, he showed up today in his own press conference, I think more than half an hour later. And I think uh, the people that I follow were ripping him on that one. That's some sort of a leadership he has. And then he mentioned Tevin Jenkins, who has been on the IR pretty much the entire season as a, um, you know, a depth piece. Um, I know Jason Leisure of um, the Sun-Times, who's been very, very critical of the Bears and Nagy from, very, from day one, uh, ripped him, uh, you know, calling him a depth piece is uh, somewhat of, I think, uh, uh, un, un, you know, unnecessary. You know, we all want to see him. You know, and I know Matt uh, Ryan Page, the GM who moved up to get him, obviously is probably forcing, you know, Nagy and his uh, coaching staff to, you know, force him to get some uh, meaningful playing time, uh, you know, uh, going forward. But Nagy. Uh, Ever the guy who's trying to find out the whys and all that nonsense, uh, just just won't able to uh, pull the plug on Jason Peters, the veteran and a future Hall of Famer, who's actually done a very good job. Uh, you know, for a guy who was fishing when he got the call uh, just right before Week One, um, has been has played very very decently. But at some point, you know, if Matt Nagy is not going to do the job or what is expected of him, you know, just pull the plug. Don't let, you know, the next five weeks play out as it is. You're, you're just basically proving that you're so out of depth and out of reality, which is n nothing unusual for us Bears fans who had to put up with the, uh, the ownership uh, who hasn't uh, gotten, nothing has gotten right under their leadership. So, you know, the next five weeks are going to be very, very rough if Justin Fields isn't available. So. Yeah. Well, it, it's going to be a rough week in uh, a rough week in Chicago leading up to the Packers game, and mm -hmm. it's going to be a rough week probably after that. So, but yes. at least the one good thing is that we will be back next week. We are coming back next week instead of in two weeks. We will be coming back next week and have with a whole new show. So, uh, Stephen, we look forward to that. Thank you, as always, Ken. And uh, we're going to line up, uh, you know, hopefully another great, uh, strong guest for our show uh, on the 13th of uh, December. And uh, we'd like to thank Mike Chen of the Fighting Irish Wire and of the USA Today Network talking to us about college football and Brian Kelly and Notre Dame football. And we all we appreciated the retort and the response from Ben Q, Ohio State alumnus, and the uh, owner of the and CEO of the uh, – Comeback, comeback media, the comeback.com, and also awfulannouncing.com. We appreciate the, their appearances on the show. This has been the Double A Team. I'm Ken Fang for Stephen Nikishi. I well, we wish you a very good uh, good night and a, and a very good week. And we'll be back again next week.